Usually diet culture is always telling us you need to cut this food out or remove this food group or don't eat sugar, gluten, whatever, which tends to put us in this scarcity mentality where we just end up wanting those foods more. So my concept is to instead add these nourishing foods. We're just going to kind of naturally edge out some of the less nutritious foods in our diet without putting us into that scarcity mentality. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we are so excited about today's episode because it is January right now, in case you didn't know, aka all of the new year, new me, weight loss, diet culture, resolutions are at their peak capacity. We are inundated, I am over it, and it can just be really hard to tune it all out and focus on what's actually healthy and sustainable for you. I agree. And that's why we're talking about how to beat diet culture and heal your relationship with food with the incredible registered dietitian, YouTube star, and food writer, Abby Sharp. We love her. We're obsessed. And this episode is exactly what you need if you're looking to kick off the year with a goal to just eat for both health and enjoyment and to achieve balance without all the guilt and restricting that we're often faced with. Plus, she has an epic tip on how to eat for hangovers and who doesn't need that. I I need that for one get it badly <laughs> but we really did fangirl hard for this one I have been obsessed with Abby for a while now and her no bullshit science meat sass approach to food has really helped me on my journey to just unlearn diet culture which is like so deeply embedded in us that we don't even realize mm-hmm. all of the ways that it influences us and I'm finally like disassembling all of those parts of me and just like learning to eat for nourishment and not for weight loss. And she's also really helped me approach my own health challenges like eating for PCOS from a balanced and sensible place instead of what I was doing, which was unsustainable restriction that I was buying into from what random people were saying on Instagram. So (laughs) now I know literally my only rule for myself is no naked carbs, which I learned from Abby and you will hear more about it from the episode. And it's it has changed my life. Everything is possible for you as long as you're not allergic to it to enjoy in moderation and balance and that has been such a blessing to hear from someone who knows what she is talking about and has the research to back it up. And we love a fully dressed carb and I mean I totally agree with what you were saying like this episode was also super super healing for me and just debunked a bunch of bullshit diet culture crap that I also subscribe to. And another thing, she just helped rationalize how it's super normal for our bodies to change in relation to the food that we eat and just expand and contract throughout the day. For example, the other day I was getting a bridesmaid dress taken in and it was like nine in the morning. I hadn't eaten anything, hadn't drank anything. So we were, we were toit, we were toiter than normal. And I was telling the lady, I'm like, make it like super tight. Like I want to look pretty, you know, form-fitted and she was like girl you are gonna eat you are gonna drink you are gonna want to dance your body is gonna be totally different by the end of the night and I was like oh my god you're right and Abby just kind of drove home that point too like it's normal for your body to react to food it doesn't mean you have a problem yeah yeah diet culture wants us to think that we are supposed to be flat as a fucking pancake all day long And it's not real. So this has been a really helpful reality check in how our bodies work and react to food and what you actually need to know. 
but we are not the experts. So we called in Abby Sharp. Abby is a registered dietitian, food writer and blogger, best-selling author, TV and radio personality, and the founder of Abby's Kitchen. She literally does all of the things. I don't know how that is one person doing all of those things. So <laughs> it's wow. wild. You also might know her from her insanely popular TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram channels, which are followed by millions of fans for her empowering nutrition facts, wellness myth debunking, and her highly entertaining critiques of bullshit celebrity diets and basically all things goop. She makes everything really entertaining, but then also drives home the research and science to back up what makes something worth doing or what makes it bullshit. It's so entertaining. Abby's core philosophy is that a pleasurable relationship with food, your body, and yourself is the fundamental secret to good health. If you're looking to actually enjoy your meals and feel good about food, this episode is for you. Teach us how to quit diet culture for once and for all and have a healthy relationship with food, Abby. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Abby. We are thrilled and huge fans and just so excited to talk to you about this very, very timely subject matter. I mean, it's always timely, but diet culture really seems to thrive in January with all the weight loss resolutions. It can be very toxic. We're feeling that. And this year, we have personally been really focused on trying to like heal our relationship with food and approach meals with balance and nutrition instead of restriction and guilt. It's probably the first year... I can remember in like the past decade where weight loss hasn't been one of my goals, which is really fucked up. Yeah. Um, but it's not. I literally wrote that. That is so huge. That is so huge. I literally oh, put love no it. naked carbs and balanced plate. Like, yes. That's a, that's a win. A win <laughs> if I've ever heard one. Yes. But we'd love to hear about your journey getting here and knowing everything that you know now. What would you tell your younger self who was navigating your own food journey and diet culture? I mean, for those who don't know, um, like I'm a registered dietitian and I, I myself struggled with disordered eating when I was in my late teens and, you know, it wasn't just like a switch that turned off. It, it did take a long time to kind of relearn basically how to, how to eat intuitively and how to let diet culture go. But I think if I were to tell myself anything like my, my former self, my restricting self is that your body is so much smarter than you think it is. And when you push it, it's going to push back and you can just never win. You might be able to kind of like feel like you're getting ahead for a little while, but in the end, you know, this is a nutrition's a long game, I always tell people. And I just came to the realization that I didn't want to spend so much of my life, so much of my time, energy, my mental capacity, obsessing over food, obsessing over calories, and making up all of these arbitrary food rules in an effort to get myself to eat less. So my my kind of recovery story where I kind of just made a call that I was done with diet culture. I wanted to learn or relearn how to eat intuitively because I was an intuitive eater once upon a time, as as we all are, basically. We're born intuitive eaters. And, you know, I started this basic little food blog and it became something bigger. I was invited to all these food events, all these restaurant openings, and I was in grad school. And I was like, I'm so miserable in grad school. <laughs> and I was so lit lit up by this blogging thing by food writing and i thought well i've got to make a choice here if i'm going to throw myself all into this kind of food media career i have to learn how to just 
eat because I was going to, I was being invited to restaurants and, you know, food events where I'd have to have food in front of me that I couldn't control. And, you know, diet culture me would have, was freaking out really. And so I was able to realize that I could have two, two, two tacos and a cocktail on a Tuesday night and not feel the need to in, inhale an entire platter of fries and three desserts and make myself sick because I knew that tomorrow was another opportunity to eat something delicious that I was excited about. So I want people to know, because this was something that I know so many people are scared about when it comes to intuitive eating, that you won't forever just eat all the things that you have been, you know, restricting yourself on. You might overeat at the yeah. beginning as the floodgates open, but you very quickly will learn over time as you collect data, what food actually feels good to your body. And because you're not restricted, right. you're not in that kind of mentality, that scarcity mentality, where you feel that you're going to need to overeat when you do get a chance. Oh, that totally makes sense. That's so helpful. I do feel like we have a lack of trust, which... I mean, has been fueled by diet culture and media, but a lack of trust in our own bodies and our own abilities to give ourselves the chance to see what feels good and what feels, you know, not so good. Because it's such a restrictive culture that, of course, if I'm going to not eat something for a long time, when I do get the chance, I'm going to binge it. Oh, yeah. So imagine a world in which we never binged anything because you're always allowed to have balanced amounts of what you feel like it, it just makes so much sense yeah and, and interestingly enough like as I've gotten older and you know almost immediately yeah once I started to eat intuitively I actually realized that a lot of the foods that I was kind of overeating and binging on I didn't even like like candy for example mm. I don't really like candy and I learned that so quickly and yet if I got the opportunity to eat a candy I couldn't stop myself with just one I would eat the whole bag I don't like candy, guys. <laughs> like, So you actually start to realize over time um, that a lot of times the like, nourishing foods that you've been seeing as good and they're, that you have to eat, you actually might start to enjoy them more because you don't have this dichotomy of good and bad foods. There's also, I think in, in my experience, because I also used to be so overwhelmed by food. Like I remember going out for dinner with my husband, then boyfriend was so overwhelming and mentally exhausting because I was like, oh, what do I eat that's healthy? And I'm using air mm -hmm. quotes. And now I've adopted intuitive eating and I've sort of let that past self go. And it's also just freed up so much time mentally for me. Like I feel lighter. I don't stress when I open the fridge. Like if anyone is kind of looking for a new reason to get behind this, this style and relationship with food, that's a great reason right there. Mm -hmm. Just that mental capacity that frees up. Oh, yeah. I mean, we only have so many hours in the day. And yeah. I don't think people realize who, when they are trapped in diet culture, how much time that they've just sucked into counting calories, looking at menu, oh you know, nutritional, like nutritions, uh, just trying to add up all the things and think, oh, my God, well, I ate this this day. So I can't have that, you know, tomorrow, etc. Yes. It is so freeing when you're just like, what do I feel like? Okay. And then you just go for it. So you just touched on counting calories briefly right there. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, you've talked about this in a few of your videos, but why are counting calories bullshit? And can you explain why it's just generally a flawed system? <laughs> right. So there's a place for calorie counting, right? Like there's absolutely 
or at least for understanding calories, I should say. That's the kind of distinction here I'll right. make. It's not a perfect system because, you know, you hear everyone say, oh, it's just calories in versus calories out. Just a simple math equation. That's all you need to know. If you just subtract one from the other and that's how many calories you need kind of situation to lose weight. There are so many built-in flaws in this system that when you are obsessing over the minutia of every little morsel of food that you put in your mouth, you're bound to be off. And I'll tell you some of the big ones. One, we know that the calculations that are used to calculate, like, you know what, on MyFitnessPal and you see, oh, this is how many calories I need. Those are grossly flawed. Mm -hmm. they, they often overestimate needs. They're very flawed. They cannot tell you exactly uh, how many calories you need. So that is one. You're already off. You're already kind of in no man's land with that. Same with activity. Yeah. You're obsessing you know, over something that's not even that accurate. Right. Like it's like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, you're told you could, you need 2,100 calories. You might need 24. You might need 18. Like it, we actually don't, don't know from that. Uh, same with your activity. You know, people wear wearable devices or they're looking at the treadmill and how many calories they burned. Unless we put you in a controlled research experiment with like gold standard indirect calorimetry, it's impossible to know what you're burning in that moment because those those that is actually going to change based on what you ate that day or exactly how much you expended. Right. Is it a new activity? Is this something you're conditioned to, et cetera? Two, the calorie counts that we see on packages, the science that was used to develop those is also grossly flawed, right? Very outdated, mm. doesn't take into consideration how many calories you actually harvest and absorb from that food, rather how many calories are available. And how many calories you absorb will be different than how many calories I absorb because of our different gut microbiomes. And that's like right. a you know really popular topic right now is the gut microbiome. And we know that that's going to influence how many calories we can, how, how many calories we actually can utilize from a food. And that's going to add up because, you know, over time, if you are absorbing, you know, a hundred calories from a piece from a banana, but I'm only absorbing 80, then, you know, those numbers do make a difference over the course of the day. The other thing that I think people don't know and may be shocked or interested to hear is that Food manufacturers are legally allowed to be off by 20% on the calories, what they put on the label. So that wow. might mean that something that says it's a 100 calorie pack is actually 120. Again, we're talking about a very imprecise science that if you're counting every morsel, that's going to be a huge discrepancy over the course. That's 20% of your difference in the day that you're counting. Yeah. And the other interesting hmm. things that people don't know is that the calories in food will actually actively change depending on how it's processed or cooked, for example. Cooking meat, for example, oh. will increase the calories than raw meat. Not that I'm recommending anyone eat raw meat. Please don't to go and eat raw <laughs> chicken. But same for things like if you chew things really well, if you're blending something up versus eating it whole, all of that will change the calories. And the most important I did not thing, know that. Wow. Right? That's, I didn't that's know that either. Most people don't know that. And that's the thing. We don't even need to know that. Like I'm telling you this to sh to, to describe <laughs> how, how, you know, a lot of these calories that we see on a label are bullshit in some in, in some capacity. It's not exact mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, these things all kind of balance themselves out, right? You might get a little more calories yeah. than you expect here. You might get a little less. You might absorb more here. You might absorb less. It ends up working out. Your body's so smart. It just kind of knows what to do with those calories if you're listening. But when you're counting mm -hmm. obsessively, that's when you're basically over overriding a lot of that body 
innate intuition. And that's what can get into trouble, especially because most people, we have tons of research to support to back this up, but most people are really bad at estimating the calories they consume. So most people will grossly underestimate the calories. So I think it's important to, I think it's helpful for a lot of people to have a sense of calories, to, to be able to compare packages, to be like, okay, a hot dog has more calories than a slice of bread, but do we need to, you know, use them as guidelines? Don't be obsessing over the squirt of mustard on your hot dog. You also mentioned the um, gut microbiome. Do you feel that like our current societal focus on gut health is is a really good thing? Do you think there's a lot of bullshit circulating or are you feeling like, yay, we're actually focusing on something that's helpful? It's both. I have mixed feelings. So for one, I think that, you know, 2023 and really the past uh, almost, you know, five to 10 years, we've seen a real departure away from explicit diet culture about like purposeful mm. weight loss. There's, it's become a bit taboo to talk about, oh, you need to eat less to get skinny kind of thing. That's kind of yeah. out of vogue, at least to say it out loud. But now right. we're seeing a shift to what we call like wellness culture. And wellness culture is all about, you know, living your best life, feeling good, self-care. Um, and a lot of the talk in the wellness community is around gut health. But my interpretation from a lot of folks who are talking about gut health, a lot of influencers, is that saying something like, I feel so bloated, is really like the PC code for I feel so fat. And what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. that a lot of these influencers will consistently talk about, you know, what to eat or what to avoid to get a flat stomach to avoid bloating. But what they're really saying is, these are the things you need to eat or avoid or not to, not eat too much of so that you can keep your your body small. Keep your stomach small, mm. get a flat stomach, a six pack, etc. The reality is is that, you know, I'm an IBS warrior, so I know the absolute devastation of legitimate bloating and digestive distress and other functional gut disorders and things like that. That's a real problem, but that's not what a lot of these influencers are talking about. These influencers are talking about how do I make sure that my stomach looks snatched in like, you know, yeah. the body check yeah. I do online. And that to me is really problematic because it reinforces this assumption that women specifically should all have a flat stomach when we know that most women will never have a flat stomach, will never have a six pack. And it's not necessarily even healthy for them to do that in order to maintain their normal hormonal function. So on one hand, I think what influencers are talking about when it comes to bloating and gut health is not exactly evidence-based and in a lot of cases it's problematic but do i think that you know the research that we have coming out the emphasis that we have on the importance of gut health very important because your gut is like the powerhouse of the body it's where 70 percent of our immune system lies and i mean we're talking about immune health a lot, considering all the viruses that are constantly circulating right now. So I know there's a huge interest in making sure that our gut is healthy. But we also know that the gut plays a role in mental health. It plays a role in weight yeah. management, in literally every other system Hormones, in the body. everything. Yeah. So yeah. it is very important to take care of the gut. Do we have a blueprint exactly on how everyone should do that? No, because it's so unique. And until we have more data, more technology, we're really not going to have the like perfect 
evidence-based recommendations when it comes to gut health, for the masses at least. We wanted to know if you had any like more natural remedies for, mm-hmm. I guess let's call it bloating and any sort of stomach issues yeah. that you're having. Cause there's obviously a lot of those like pills and supplements being pushed out there in the market, but there's, is there anything a little bit more, you know, natural that you would recommend? Yeah. yeah. So uh, actually the most evidence-based belief, uh, food, believe it or not, is kiwi. People don't really think about kiwi. I always feel like kiwi gets the fruit chef or berries and, you know, but kiwi actually has data to suggest that eating two kiwis a day helps to reduce bloating. And I love kiwi. I think everyone just forgets about kiwi. It's a great fruit. It's delicious. kiwi. Uh, You can get it basically all year round. Um, So yeah, I'm a huge fan of kiwi. So that is my major recommendation. It's easy to Mm fit that into your routine. And ginger and peppermint are also really great uh, kind of supplements and foods to incorporate. Yes, in a pinch, you could use like peppermint or ginger tea. It's just not going to be as strong as as consuming like a ginger supplement, which is going to get give you more. Same with the, you know, food in general. The thing is most evidence, most Mm -hmm. research done on any kinds of compounds are done on like supplemental dosages. So it's always hard to say exactly like how much raw ginger would you need to actually consume to see a clinical benefit, but incorporate it into your routine. There's not, there's no harm in it. It's nutritious. It's great. It tastes good. Yeah. So I, I see no harm in kind of incorporating those things in, but everything else that you see out there online about bloating, you need to take this, you need to take that. It's very hard to give, to give recommendations because everyone's bloating is going to be unique. And the cause of their bloating is going to determine what the recommendations are. Are you bloated because you're constipated? Are you bloated because you're intolerant to a FODMAP or gluten or something like that? In which case the recommendations would be completely opposite, believe it or not, more fiber, less fiber. You know, I do recommend if you are dealing with persistent bloating to work with a registered dietitian to help you get to the root cause. You just kind of blew my mind though. Well, first of all, 2023, Year of the Kiwi, I'm calling it. Good Ooh, to yes. know. But secondly, <laughs> little furry dude. <laughs> bloating came to me as like such a a common thing that we're all feeling. And maybe that's not that common. And you're right. It is just diet culture calling itself something different. And it's just everyone feeling like they're unhappy with their waist and then saying it's bloating. Yeah. Like I, I do think mm-hmm. I tend to feel a lot more like distended after small amounts of food than I think is normal but I also don't think I know what normal is yes how are we going to be consuming like liquids and foods and not immediately expelling them and not having sit somewhere so I actually don't even know I I, this is the thing I hear this from people all the time and I always say it is absolutely normal for your body to expand and contract throughout the day as you put food and drink into it how could it not like where's it gonna go I ate like a huge sandwich today of course like (laughs) It's going to be in there. Yeah. So, That's yeah. so true. Why do we think it's not going to... Why do you think oh that your God. stomach's going to be Abby's flat Abby's got me questioning everything long. in life right now. <laughs> right. We also love that you promote um, nourishment and feeling like really satiated through your foods, through what you've coined as the hunger crushing combo. We are big fans of this. Can you walk us through what that combo is, why it matters, and how we can incorporate more of that into our mealtime? 
Yeah. So my hunger crushing combo is a non-diet additive approach to gentle nutrition. So the concept is, is that you're adding in a source of fiber, protein, and healthy fats to your meals and snacks to make them more satiating and more satisfying. Usually diet culture is always telling us you need to cut this food out or remove this food group or don't eat sugar, gluten, whatever which tends to put us in this scarcity mentality where we just end up wanting those mm -hmm. foods more. So my concept is to instead add these nourishing foods. When we're adding the hunger crushing compounds, which are inherently more satiating, we're just gonna kind of naturally edge out some of the less nutritious foods in our diet without putting us into that scarcity mentality because you feel satisfied, because you feel satiated. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, a lot of people ask me about, oh, I have a trigger food, I have a fear food that I just, when I, when I have it, I have to finish the whole box. And so I always say, listen, what I want you to do is to try to incorporate that food into more meals and snacks, like acclimatize yourself to it and show yourself that it can be put on the same equal playing field as any other food. So for example, sugary cereal was my like trigger food when I was struggling. So and what good. I did was I was like, I'm going to eat sugary cereal every effing day until it's <laughs> no longer so alluring to me. It loses its that, that power Ooh. over me. And so I yeah. start to just have cereal, build it into more meals. So you could put Greek yogurt for your protein, put your lucky charms on top, throw in a handful of berries for your fiber, throw a handful of cashews for your nuts, you get your lucky charm so you're emotionally satisfied, but you've also mm -hmm. got all of these hunger crushing compounds in there to keep you physically satiated. And there's lots of evidence-based benefits to this for you know blood sugar management because we're adding in that, that fiber, protein, healthy fats, gonna slow down the blood sugar response, important for satiety. And most importantly, like I said, to put all foods on a morally equal playing field. Yeah, I cannot tell you, this is probably like, the number one thing that has helped me with my relationship with food because I went down a really extreme rabbit hole of trying to deal with PCOS and insulin resistance and doing a lot of self-education which probably isn't a great idea but then all of a sudden carbs were the enemy and like no sugar no carbs unless it's like super fibrous carbs and it it got really hard and I was obsessive about it and it wasn't feeling good and I wasn't seeing like great results from it and then when I started listening to more of your content and learning more about, you know, how the blood sugar response is different when you don't just have a naked carb, but when you're pairing it with fiber, fat, protein, and all of a sudden it opened up my world of like, okay, I don't need to restrict and completely say no to things. It's more about how I pair them mm -hmm. to change my body's response to it and to be able to have everything I want, but balance it on my plate in a way that's more nourishing. Go for a 10 minute walk after don't just cut things out. There's ways to, you know, unless you actually have an allergy or you know, that's a different story. But in terms of just restriction and kind of like fear-based restriction, it really, really helped me see I don't have to be rigid and obsessive because it's bad for your mind and I'm yeah. sure for your body. And I wasn't getting enough fiber at all. So that was a whole other story. So no, that's, I'm so glad to hear that it's helped. Yeah. So I, and that's definitely my recommendations for things like PCOS, insulin resistance. And that's a, another term we use is dressing up naked carbs. So if you, you know, you mm -hmm. like, a, if you love white bread and just like the whole grain just doesn't hit for you, that's okay, folks. Just throw some peanut butter on there, maybe a little banana, some berries, some hump parts. We're good. Like 
that we've yeah. got everything that we need here to balance out those blood sugars. So I'm glad that it was helpful. Yeah. And it's fun when like, I want to look at my plate of pasta and be like, you're naked. Let's dress you up. <laughs> yeah. Like, saucy. Love my, I don't want nude nudes. Yeah. 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 I love that. No nude nudes. <laughs> no, no nude nudes, nudes here. <laughs> Not on my plate. Yeah, that's so cute. So you mentioned those trigger foods and those fear foods and it's 2023 and cheat days are still a thing and you know there's this weird thing that everyone's doing about assigning foods as good and bad and there's a moral weight to them and i think that can be really problematic and damaging to a lot of people and we still catch ourselves doing it sometimes too so we are not immune but how can we start reframing this so that we're able to enjoy those sometimes less nutritious craving foods and just kind of remove that guilt and shame yeah yeah i always hated it hated the cheat day mentality that 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 concept because i think it really insinuates that you know what you're eating is morally wrong so you are morally yeah. wrong for eating it and it's just so bizarre to me that we continue to like you know compare eating a cheeseburger to like infidelity like not the same thing folks yeah but, <laughs> <laughs> so generally you know what i see happen with cheat days often is what we call the last supper mentality where you know that mm. this is your one day to like get it all in and once you start you're like oh i blew my diet so i might as well clear out the pantry and clear out the fridge of all the junk and eat a pint of ice cream make yourself physically sick because you know you've got mm -hmm. to restrict again tomorrow and then this cycle just repeats of like crazy restriction that you build up all this this tension of denial that you can't help yourself but to overeat on that cheat day and then the guilt yeah, sets in yeah. and you do it all over again this is like horrible cycle obviously it's a recipe for overeating or a binge so my tip for people who are stuck in this like cheat day routine is you've gotta stop restricting you have to allow yourself something pleasurable every single day you know something yeah. at least something and when i say something i mean like a meal like like parts of your meal that like you're super excited about that's not just like for nutrition but it's just because you love ice cream you love you have to if you're having a salad and you love cheese put cheese on it for goodness sake like yeah. don't eat a plain you're gonna eat more salad yeah like yeah. don't drag yourself through lettuce that's got <laughs> nothing on it friends that's not yeah. fun so i say no new lettuce foods yeah no plain lettuce guys turn those foods into <laughs> hunger crushing combos like i said you know if you've got a, a, a real craving for some cookies great put it on the plate this is what i always say to people this is a real kind of mind game for people it's a really good exercise Put the fear food, the cookies, on the same plate as some other nourishing foods, some carrots, some guacamole, some apples, whatever. Let Make a little hunger crushing combo snack plate because I want you to see all of those foods on the same playing field. They're all just food. Mm. And so I think people get into this, this habit of eating like a really clean snack and then binging on just like straight up like a whole row of Oreos or like a whole pint, pint of ice cream. We And what that does is it, it reinforces this good food, bad food dichotomy. So I want people to put everything on the same plate so that it's all there together and it physically is on the same playing field. And that is a really good tip for a lot of people to try to incorporate in their day to day. I love that. Putting it on the same plate is so key. I've never done that and I'm going to do that tonight. So we also wanted to talk about food myths and your YouTube channel is, first of all, a 
absolute treat to watch and it is full of amazing facts that just combat all the bullshit wellness and diet culture claims that are circulating right now we're talking pretty much everything goop does um (laughs) the pressure to spend like absorbent amounts of money on green powders or juice cleanses that remove all of the fiber from the juices in order to be healthy and the whole idea of detoxing all of these things that were being sold are there any specific kind of pervasive food myths that you're finding you're really trying to combat right now that are really really harmful to our nutrition i honestly there's so many it's very hard to to like narrow it down to just one or two but for me the one that's like one of the most bizarre is the food combining diet i don't know if you girls have heard about this but basically what this is is that there's a lot of people out there and this is back to the gut health situation where people are claiming that if you consume certain foods together that it creates a traffic jam in your gut and then you get bloated and have all these digestive issues so people will say like oh you can only eat fruit on an empty stomach and you can never combine fruit with some protein because it'll create this traffic jam and they just like get stuck there in the gut like it's so bizarre (laughs) it's not how our body works our body and our gut is a sophisticated well-oiled machine it's sending out all the different enzymes, a perfect little cocktail of enzymes, depending on what combination of foods and drinks you put into it. It doesn't even make any sense because basically all foods are not just one macronutrient or one kind of food component. Like dairy, for example, has got carbohydrates, it's got, it's got protein, it's got fat, something like avocado, it's got fat and it's got fiber, you know, like, so it makes absolutely no sense. I often think people are just trying to make healthy eating so overcomplicated that it's almost like an elitist display of privilege. It's as if they're saying, yeah, well, I have the capacity to think of all these little details to improve my health. And if you don't, then you're just being lazy. You're not taking care of yourself. That kind of thing. Like, do we not have enough in our life to think about and worry about rather than like separating out fruit from like some protein in the morning, which not not to mention it goes against like everything I preach in terms of like what yeah. we know is actually <laughs> healthy and, you know, balanced nutrition. So that to me is like, why does that keep coming back? Like five years ago, I was debunking that and I still am seeing it come up and I'm like, we have gone over this folks. So it's just so bizarre. <laughs> That's the thing, like eating is becoming so complicated and it really doesn't need to be. It should be this enjoyful thing that we do five times a day or however many times you like to eat. Maybe it's more. And yeah, it's just become this really exhausting, right or wrong, good or bad experience. And I just hate how much wellness has been like commodified too. In order to feel like you're the healthiest celebrities, you need to spend like hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a two-day juice cleanse. Like what the fuck is happening? No. That's absolutely ridiculous. And people are still talking so much about detox. Like could you explain to the people why our bodies detox detox. without your expensive elixirs? Folks, friends, your body detoxes naturally every single day assuming you've got working kidneys and a bowel like you're peeing and you're pooing and you're sweating outside and you're breathing out carbon dioxide you are detoxing 24 7 their body is so well equipped to do this and in terms of like some like lemon water for example i see that one all the time oh you need to drink lemon water in the morning to detox your body or you need juice to detox your body all of these foods 
all, the only benefit to them that people are, you know, if we want to actually get down to it for detoxing is simply that they're water and all water is going to make you pee. So I guess it helps you detox like naturally, but just drink water, like just eat fiber to help your bowels and drink water and move your body and we're good to go. I was such a sucker for the shot of apple cider vinegar in the morning. Oh, yeah. And this is before the like the research came out. My teeth are destroyed. Like they're so sensitive I know. now. I can't and even my think dentist, about it. It hurts oh, my teeth. Yeah. My dentist was pissed. <laughs> yeah. The dentists are all so against it. To be clear, there's no benefit to apple cider because I was a sucker and got the freaking supplements and was like, oh, I'm going to take oh, the, the apple cider supplements. supplements and like- yeah. There's like nothing, nothing in that that's clinically relevant. They just <laughs> <Yeah>. taste good. <laughs> um, yeah. The, we, we do know that apple cider vinegar may have some blood sugar be- um, management benefits. So, you know, you, you yeah. mentioned PCOS, but in terms of like detoxing or like helping with weight loss- right, right. Like the research shows that in addition to a calorie deficit and like, you know, lifestyle changes, it may have a minute effect when it comes to um, weight management. But a lot of the evidence suggests that that's probably because it makes people feel so nauseous that they eat less. (laughs) So fact. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. There are better ways. Okay, speaking of... Yes. Speaking of waking up and feeling sick, yeah. asking for a friend who is yeah. me, uh, for those of us who get brutal hangovers after a few drinks, is there an ideal meal or food combo that actually might help us feel better or metabolize or overcome that hangover a little a little faster? Water and time. Not sexy, I know. The more water you consume, <laughs> like before drinking, during drinking, after drinking is going to be really key because alcohol is dehydrating. And so, you know, we get a headache because often we're dehydrated. The other piece of the hangover is the effects of acetaldehyde, which is the byproduct of alcohol when it gets bro- broken down. And eggs are actually really rich in an amino acid called cysteine, which helps to break down acetaldehyde. So my kind of like, if you are, if you could tolerate eggs, eggs or you're not plant-based, I always recommend big jug of water, some eggs, and lots of fruit because fruit, obviously water rich and it's rich in fiber because oftentimes um, alcohol can make you feel a little bit backed up again because of the dehydration. So we want to get that fiber in, we want to get that water and and the eggs might just help a little bit with some of the effects of the acetaldehyde. Okay, I can manage that. Yeah. If not, it's placebo. So exactly, whatever, <laughs> whatever's go. gonna make you feel better. Whatever you feel like, I say, just eat that. If you feel like anything, yeah, <laughs> love it. Fair enough. For those who might be on, you know, a nutrition or physical health journey right now and just aren't happy with where they're at, how do you recommend they go about making some healthy changes to achieve their goals in a balanced and positive way? Yeah, I really do recommend my additive approach, really like focusing less on what you need to take away from the diet because you're all, it's always good, just going to make you want those things more and focusing instead on what can I add to my meal, my plate to make it more balanced, to make it more satiating so that, you know, I feel good eating it, but I also, you know, I'm enjoying it and, 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 uh, and getting yeah. pleasure out of that meal as well. Um, I think that makes a huge difference, just like a shift in mentality. It's a bit of like a paradigm shift for people to wrap their head around when they've been trapped in diet culture for so long. I find that that makes a huge difference over time with allowing people to tune into their body's true desires, true needs, true likes, and kind of discover the, the pleasure in a lot of naturally nourishing foods. I love that approach. And finally... 
What is one thing that you wish you had learned in school? It's been a long time since I was in school, but I do think that I really wish that we learned more about, you know, weight stigma and in the healthcare community and some of the um, some of the challenges that a lot of folks in larger bodies tend to face when accessing, you know, healthcare and getting the healthcare support that they need. Um, we talked a lot in school about the social determinants of health and socioeconomic status and how that affects health disparities, but I don't feel like we really talked a lot about how different people's bodies affect health disparities and and it's you know we know now that shame does not is not a great motivator for behavioral change like it's 2023 i'm not sure why those shame tactics are still being used um so i i wish we dove more into that because i think that that's incredibly relevant for practice for for practicing dietitians also for allied health and doctors as well great answer so can you tell everybody where they can find you? Feel free to yes, pimp so yourself you out. <laughs> yeah. So Abby's Kitchen, A-B-B-E-Y, uh, on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. My blog is abbyskitchen.com, all the places. Uh, so lots of great myth busting, recipes, uh, intuitive eating tips, diet culture, takedown, you name it. Hell Yes. We love it all. We're just so thrilled we got the chance to talk to you. This has been so, so helpful and healing. And I really hope everyone else finds this as game changing and how they approach food as we have. So thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for having me. We hope this episode helps you develop a healthy relationship with food, navigate the bullshit wellness myths that we're constantly bombarded with and feel your healthiest this year. We'll leave you with a quote from Evelyn Triboli, the OG expert and author of Intuitive Eating. Having a healthy relationship with food means you are not morally superior or inferior based on your eating choices. Straight facts. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.